0: Hello, passionate listeners, welcome to Passion Harvest, where we try to inspire you to live a passionate life. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about our very special guest today, Dr. PMH Atwater. Dr Atwater, if you don't already know who she is, is an international authority on near death experiences and spiritual transformations. Dr Atwater began training in bank management when she was raped, miscarried and died three times in three months. Complications led her to relearn how to crawl, walk, climb stairs, run, tell the difference between left and right, hear properly, see properly and rebuild her belief systems. She had a near death experience with each death. During her third NDE, the voice, like none other, said, "Test revelation. You are to do the research. One book for each death." She was shown what was meant, but one was not named. Books two and three were future memory, a manual for developing humans. Initiating what the voice told her to do, she quit her job, gave away or stored everything she owned, sold her home, and left Idaho. And that was in 1978. Dr. Atwater is the author of an incredible 18 books on, related, on or related to NDE. Some of her findings have been verified in clinical studies, among them the prospective study done in Holland and published in Lancet Medical Journal and the big book of near-death experiences brought the entire field up to date. Dr. Atwater's books have been translated into 12 languages. In 2005, Dr. Atwater was awarded the Outstanding Service Award from the International Association for Near-Death Studies Lifetime Achievement Award from the National Association of Transpersonal Hypnotherapists. That's a tongue twister. More awards have followed. Dr. Atwater has also presented twice at the United Nations. This is her story and this is her passion. Oh my gosh, Dr. Atwater, welcome to Passion Harvest.
1: Well it's so good to be
0: with you. <laughs> that was a long introduction but you've done so much. I... <laughs> oh yes,
1: it's
0: really good to be with you. Um, I try and, and and there's so much more Dr. Atwood has done but I tried to reduce it as much as possible just to give your background on the incredible work that she has the body of work that she's done. So Dr. Atwood, I'd love to hear about Briefly about your NDEs and or potentially how it changed your life and about death
1: Uh, Let me go back a little bit sure yes, please and say I was I was one of those kids Who really didn't fit this world when I was born I was just a little different had five fathers and two mothers wound up being raised by Norwegians in wow. the same deserts of southern Idaho uh, of course that's another story <laughs> uh, so being a little bit different I was born with anesthesia which me and um, um, the limbic uh, in my limbic system in my brain was a little bit different so I have blended or are different kinds of of um, sensations, uh, senses, and I also had dyslexia. So um, I taught myself how to read and write and um, the, the, the synesthesia, well, you kind of get used to it <laughs> mm-hmm. and you sort of deal with it. Um, I grew up um, wanting very much to know more about life. I had many opportunities to do that. And we won't go into those. It would take weeks. Um, <laughs> just sort of let me re- reduce that very quickly sure. here. There's no hurry. That finally in, uh, gee, when was it? It was it was um, early 70s, I believe. Yeah, it must have been about 1969, 1970. I decided that. This was too good. I wanted to share it with everybody else. So I started um, uh, an organization called Inner Forum. And um, that was to explore metaphysics, the esoteric, um, and all, all these different and strange and unusual and wonderful and scary parts of life what our brain can do, what our spirit can do. And, and I participated in all kinds of experiments, bio rhythms, hypnosis, and I became a, a professional hypnotherapist specializing in past life regressions and all that kind of stuff. And, um, I went around to all the major religions in our city in Boise, Idaho, the, the different ministers, Told them what interform was, what our purpose was to give uh, real solid information to the general public, not this scary stuff you buy on a newsstand or weird stuff. And so I never had any problems with religious people at all yeah. uh, because I honored them and uh, included them in my world, so to speak, and went to the state of Idaho and um then um made um innerform idaho's first non-profit metaphysical corporation yes
0: <laughs> so you were a thought leader in every way <laughs> yeah, well, yeah.
1: uh and dealt with people by the thousands you know i never did anything small i always i don't know why but i <laughs> because because it was never enough that i could do things it was never never enough that a few people could do them i wanted to know how everybody did them what what everybody felt and thought and experienced that was that was important for me not just my world but everybody else's world so with that with that goal. Again, um, inner forum touched a lot of lives and did a lot of good. And why I reached that day when I suddenly decided I wanted to be a bank manager, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes, I did. I, I was working at a, in a bank at the time and I was a form of forms Analyst in the analytical department at the bank, um, and I just uh, um, I wanted to be a bank manager, so I enrolled in the American Banking Institute, and I was taking classes, and I thought, wow, this is a whole new world. You know, I was even going to college for the first time in my life to the uh, uh, to to this section. Where there was math and science, and I just felt like I'd found my new world. And then I was raped and got pregnant and miscarried. Um, That was in 1976 and in 1977. um, Yeah, I died three times because of all the complications. Later that fall, I I had to re relearn what it was like to be a human human being human being and 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 be on planet earth (laughs) and be you know living in a body again and living in this world again and and my my first death was um, January 2 1977 and in those days we had heavy snowfall and ice in in southern Idaho Um, they don't get the snow now like we used to get, but we used to get, you know, really big snowfalls. Yeah. And it it, it was difficult to get any help. And when I uh, finally did get some help, it wasn't that great. And I, I wasn't doing well at all, but I had, I had a lot of problems um, being able to convey that. And then the next death, two days later, and the next death, three months later, um, the doctors couldn't really help me. They tried. But I did something, after the third death, I did something very, very daring for me, and that is I pulled myself out of allopathic care, which is MDs, Put myself back in or um, into, into naturopathy and homeopathy, and went you know the alternative route. Uh, um, at first, I was getting worse instead of better. I didn't know then that um, when you're when you're working the natural way, it backs out of your body the way the problem got in. And I didn't know that so when it backed out, I just was in real crisis and got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until, oh gee, it must've been the first part of November in 1977, my friends were very concerned about me. So they packed me up like a little baby and, and took me in a van up to Seattle, Washington To Seattle Center where they were having the Mind Miraculous Symposium. (laughs) That's where such luminaries as Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and Dr. Blue Joy and Yuri Geller and all these very famous people were there, but the, ah, the first speaker paid my way and saved me from forever thinking I was crazy. And that was Dr. William Tiller, the physicist at Staten. And um, I can't remember much about his talk. It was called The Eternal Now. But at the end of his talk, he was absolutely convinced, Louisa, that, that everything happened at the same time in the same space. It was all simultaneous, and that simultaneity could be understood could be understood through through physics, yeah. and that um, that he could show through physics what it actually um, the energy of that what it actually looked like. So he flashed onto this giant screen. I mean, it was huge like five stories tall. I mean, it was a giant screen, maybe not quite that tall, but almost. <laughs> from memory, yeah. It was exactly what I saw in my third near-death experience. Wow. Exactly, exactly. And I jumped up from my chair and ran out and collapsed under a foyer light and kept, kept saying, I'm not crazy, I'm not crazy, I'm not. He saw it too, he saw it too, I'm not crazy. And from that moment on, I got well, um, was able then to begin the process of integrating my experience and facing what I was told to do in my third near-death experience. I was told to be a researcher, and I thought, you got to be kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Who in their right mind is going to be a pioneering researcher in this kind of weird field? You know, this just seemed totally illogical to me. But I thought, okay, okay. <laughs> you listened. You know, I was told to do it. I'm going to do it. So, um, yeah. I, uh, one of the first um, trips I took was to Chicago, Illinois, where I met Elizabeth Kubler-Ross at the O'Hare Airport. And we sat down like a couple of school kids and, to, and talked. Her plane was light and I told her all about my experiences and she said you are a near death survivor she did not use the word experiencer survivor and um and, and then she told me the pattern of the experience um she validated my life my work um um Everything I'd been told or felt or seen, she validated that for me. And that was, that was the okay. She never said anything about Raymond Moody. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't mention his book, nothing. Um, she just talked about the experience and that that's launched me. And after that, um, yeah, I walked out on my life in Boise, Idaho on the same day. I was to receive a bank promotion. Oh, gosh. In those days, a bank promotion was a big deal for a woman. Yeah, I was about to say, especially I mean, for a woman. Big deal. I walked out on it. I sold a house I had just bought, gave away or stored everything I owned, and uh, packed up my little Ford Pinto with... Um, you know some clothes and some food and a ladder and a vacuum cleaner <laughs> what was, what was the ladder for <laughs> i don't know <laughs> it, it seems somehow important to me that i have a ladder okay and pictures of my children and um uh what i needed to sleep on the floor and, and a big box full of food and and all of my records, you know, um, f- from from the business files and everything, all of my records. and uh, And I left. I just walked out of of my life in Idaho, journeyed first to the west coast to watch the sun set silver over the Atlantic. And then, and then zigzagged all the way across the United States, fulfilling all my childhood dreams and wishes. That is absolutely things wonderful. I do, things I wanted to do, and wound up in Washington D.C. And that's where I um, I lived, and I plunked down my uh, everything I had, got a little apartment, got a job. In the Washington D.C. area, and you know the miracles had been before then, but now they were every day, all the time. Um, <laughs> to give you just a little brief example of what that was like. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, you know, you apply, <clears throat> you apply at the employment agency, and you're given various places to go to, you know, introduce yourself and apply for a job. Mm-hmm. And and the first job I was given, I knew that was going to be my job. So I just laid down in DuPont Circle on the grass with my purse o- over my chest and my hands over it, and I went to sleep. And And I just slept there until the appointment time, woke up, and walked over to, to the corner of 20th and I walked in and <laughs> this is so funny. I'm standing <laughs> at the door and I'm, I'm looking inside and I saw myself already there. I was seated at the desk. I was walking in and out of the various rooms. I was opening up a file drawer and closing it and, and here I am standing there And uh, there are two me's. There's the me at the door and there's the other me that's doing all of this. And I just laughed and I thought, well, obviously this is, this really is going to be my job because I'm already there. So I walked in and um, applied and um, instead of going to the, um, doing anything else I just waited until these people the employment agency called me and said you got the job they want you back so I went back I said I'll be there at 8 30 in the morning and I was and that was the beginning of these kinds of of um what would we call them it's like future memory I I think Stepping out of this world into another world and just discovering um, that planet Earth and the way we live on planet Earth and the bodies we have really operate a little differently. And that there are, are different stages and different rhythms to everything. And it depends on the receptors in our own brain and in our own body to be able to tell which level and what part of all of this wonderful world we, we can live in and enjoy and operate in. And it, it was just marvelous. And that's when I began my research. <laughs>
0: How wonderful! Well, obviously, you you have tapped into this future memory potentially, as you call it. But it also relates to what you were talking about before about um there's no past or future. There's only now. Um, right. So and you that, saw your and future it, self, but it was now. It was now. A, which is a great way of explaining that because it's a very hard concept to grasp.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it it was kind of puzzling for me at first to live. And then I discovered, oh, hey, this is really a lot of fun. (laughs) I really enjoy this. Um, It helped me to learn life from a different angle. It did not prevent trouble. It did not prevent fear. It did not prevent discomfort. What it enabled me to do was understand all of that. And handle it in a very positive way. Mm. And uh, it's still that. It's still that way. I'll, I'll go through times when I'm as mad as a red hatter, and I'll just, <laughs> I'll just jump up and jump up and down and get rid of that emotion. Just dissolve it. Don't need it. Um, I, I really don't know what fear is. Well. Once in a while, I'll feel a little bit of fear, but mostly it's puzzlement. You know, where does that fit (laughs) in my life, world, and everybody else's life? But I'll tell you, all of those years, even now, um, interviewing other near death experiencers and uh, um, being with them. Thousands and thousands of them. You know, it wasn't hundreds, it was thousands, all original. Um you know no computers, no questionnaires, everything right there, right now. You know, I'm a cop's kid, I was raised in a police station. Um so I was there in the police station to Watch and observe how the the police officers acted, what words they used, how they handled people. And <laughs> this is fun to admit, <laughs> but in those days, I wasn't really that tall, and um, the 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 room where they would uh, the interrogation room. Mm-hmm. It had an old-fashioned skeleton key lock on the door, which which means you had this large opening. And um, I could just bend down a little bit, and I could see everybody in there. I could hear everything that was being said.
0: <laughs> so you peeked through. <laughs>
1: oh, I did, I did, I did. And do you know, Louise? I couldn't get over the fact. That these people that were beaten or robbed or crashed their car or whatever, whatever the circumstances was, they would they would they would give their story. They would talk about all the things that occurred, and they would always just say afterward, all of them, they all said that. They would say, um. I dreamed about that last night. I knew this was going to happen. Or they'd say something like that, well, I knew something would happen if I opened that door. Or I just had this feeling that if I went with with my friends, you know, this and that would occur. And so I'm this little kid. And I'm standing on the other side of the door looking in and listening and I'm thinking to myself, Adults are stupid. You know, if they already knew that this was going to happen, why did they go? Why <laughs> did they open that door? Why did they do these crazy things? So I decided that all adults were stupid and I was I was I was never going to be one when I grew up. <laughs> well of course I became an adult and, and was rather stupid before <laughs> I woke up again, hmm. um, but I just absorbed how police officers worked and and why and what they did, and so that became my um, that became what I did. My modus operandi, you know. I'm out Education. there. Education. Yeah. So this is what I did. Which underscores the fact that when you're working w- with someone, when you're interviewing someone, wh- when you want more information from someone, you don't just listen. Never, ever. Dad made it very clear. The body says more than the mouth does. So you're watching bodies. What are they doing with their shoulders? Yeah. You know, what are they doing with their eyes? What are they doing with their hips and legs? You're watching everything. And that tells you how honest they are, how clear they are, what's really going on inside of them at those moments. You cannot do good um, questionnaires of any kind. I don't care who you are. I don't care how well, you know, you work them out without doing good observational work. You just can't do it. You can't get good stuff. This is why I do not use scientific protocol I respect it that's the vertical way of research that um, with a scientific protocol you can establish the item you're working on you can um, get a good uh, idea of parameters and and what it is but I'm a horizontal researcher we're the ones that put meat on the bones right know uh, your scientific um protocol establishes, establishes the shape or the bones of something but you need people like me who do the horizontal work and um yeah <laughs> i've been doing that can you imagine i've been doing this for 44 years amazing
0: You're well you're a world authority on on, on the subject <laughs> I just, I just wanted to ask you when you talk about you had no fear. I mean, how incredible! You packed up everything, moved across the country, and you know went to see the sunset without any idea of where you were ending up.
1: And then um, watching the sunrise golden over the um, over the Atlantic. Yeah, the the sunset silver over the Pacific rose golden over the Atlantic. No, no fear at all.
0: So you just had an inner knowing or trust that everything was going to work out for you, I'm assuming.
1: I just lived in the moment. Never thought about the future. Um, I did my crying when I left Idaho. Okay. Because I had three children. They had each gone on uh, their own way.
0: So they were older
1: at this stage? They were older. Yeah. Uh, the youngest, however, went to live with her father. But the other two were older. But I loved Idaho. You know, it, it it was difficult for me to leave Idaho, my my home state. I loved it. Yeah. But I did. Um. And to say goodbye to my children and my parents and everybody. Um, I cried buckets in the car. Um, for a bad couple of hours and then it was gone i said goodbye and that was it i said i said hello to the unknown and the unknown had, has been both wonderful and not wonderful it has been both angry and beautiful and, you know it's been an incredible trip It really has been. It's an incredible trip.
0: And it's still going. Well, The the incredibleness.
1: (laughs) I was able to integrate my – what I had gone through. I was able to integrate my experience by watching and talking to others and seeing how they handled their experience. So, you know, I, I've got to admit here that I <laughs> I think I learned more about me than I did them at first. I fi- was finding out, oh, yeah, I do that, too. <laughs> <laughs> and then it took, it took me a while to figure that out and, and where that was coming from. Because, you know, the pattern of after effects, and it's both psychological and physiological. Mm-hmm. That pattern, um, that's what validates the near-death experience, not the other way around. Oh, okay. Interesting. That pattern th- that tells you that it was real, and it tells you how real, and it tells you where those people are now with, uh, within integrating their experience. Because a lot of a lot of people have, you know, real challenges with integrating these experiences. It's not easy. Mm. Very interesting. And what about um, the
0: common thread of STEs or spiritually transformative experiences or heightened psychic abilities after the NDE? Well,
1: um, certainly that's normal. Okay. <laughs> That's not, <laughs> from the
0: people i've spoken to that has been i was just interested in your normal. opinion on that
1: that's absolutely normal um most people become more psychic and intuitive afterward most people uh become kinder and more gentle afterward um uh, most people um have an affinity for life and know how real it is nature and um you know um they become more bonded to nature it's like the tree the plants it's part of your body it's part of your family the, the animals they're part of you um everybody you see it's every woman you see is your is your mother your daughter your aunt <laughs> every man you see is your is your father your brother or, you know uh, your son and it it's not it's not that you can't tell differences you can but you just love them all you just love them all And you can get yourself into so much trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. You're so misunderstood. Sometimes it's ridiculous.
0: Because you have an overwhelming sense of love for all humanity. Yeah. Mm.
1: Indeed so. And because of that, I think that's a leading cause of the divorces afterward. Uh, within about five, six, seven years after um their experience, the average experience uh, experiences or gets a divorce. Mm-hmm. They're divorced afterward. So it it can become it can become very, very difficult. Let me give you an example. There was this one woman I think she was in Missouri, but uh, I'm not sure. She was a minister's wife. She had two kids. And she she could no longer go to church on Sunday with her husband. She would always make up some excuse, and she would stay home with the kids. She would go. And I asked her, well, why? Why wouldn't you? (laughs) I mean, why wouldn't you go with your... Sure. Your husband. Why wouldn't you go to listen to him? And she, she said, she was just so, oh, kind of sad. And she said, well, I know that what he's preaching is not true. Oh, wow, that must be hard. And I cannot sit there and take it and she didn't want to divorce you know she she loved the man she loved her family she loved her life but she couldn't go to church anymore for that reason i i don't you know i'm i'm assuming she got her divorce but i don't know i don't know um, never heard from her again but that shit, that shows the 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 pain that can come the conflict that can come uh, no, I don't want to get rid of my mate. I love my mate. Yeah. But I don't like the way things are going now. It, 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 it just doesn't fit what I now know to be true. And um, that can cause real conflicts, even with children. L- l- um, let me give you another example. This is in my life. Yeah. I had three children. My oldest daughter was Natalie. And <laughs> I was in the kitchen one day and Natalie uh, came into the room, she put her hands on her hips. Now we're good Westerners, you know, you know, out with it. I put her hands on her hips and and you know, finally pointed at me and she said, Well, I like you now. <laughs> <laughs> Earlier than you were before. And you're nicer to be around but you're not mom and i want mom back well yeah we 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 look for that woman for years never did find her <laughs> we decided that she must have gone somewhere. she's gone <laughs> what happened to her um that can be a real issue. I've been in a lot of people's homes more than I can count. And it, the family is so mixed up with this, this very different person, whether it's a, a mother or a father or a, a, one of the kids that they, they talk different, they act different. They have a, a different way of of living in life. And the rest of the family is so puzzled. It's like, where did my loved one go? I think we all need to remember that when the accident happened or the surgery or whatever caused the near-death experience, We need to remember that the family wants the one back they lost. They don't want some reconfigured, remodeled version. They want the same one back. Well, you don't get the same one back. (laughs) They're different. Yes. Some are more different than others, but they're different. (laughs) Here's a funny one. This is one of the funnier, wasn't it? Um, when I moved East, I worked for a telephone company that installed large telephone systems in businesses and hotels and hotels. So my job was to visit these sites and help the people there learn how to run the machines and um, do a lot of troubleshooting. So this one time I was in Macon, Georgia. Macon, Georgia is just south and a little bit east. Of Atlanta, it is really heavy, heavy Southern. Okay. So, so keep that in mind. We're in the deep South. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm farther, you know. <laughs> so I'm I'm working my job, and the, I finally had a coffee break. So I walked down to the truck stop, and I have a. I have, well, no, I think it was like a lunch. Anyway, I walked down to the truck stop and in in the middle of the restaurant part were, were just chairs and, and and tables. So I picked one and I sat down and I was reading from my paperback. And I was just eating and reading and not paying any attention to anybody. This guy comes up to me, I swear he was as wide as he was tall, <laughs> big guy, and he says, is anybody sitting in that chair with you? I said, no, no, I'm here alone. Can I sit in that chair? And I thought, well, okay. I couldn't see any reason to deny him sitting in the chair. He sat down in that chair. you know put put his elbows on the table looked at me right in the eye and he says i want you to know i still take i still chase women and i still drink beer
0: oh my gosh
1: (laughs) but i also want you also want you to know all about the time I died. So he told me this incredible story, then he got up and left. I don't know this man. He doesn't know me. He has no idea I'm I'm doing research. Okay. Nobody knows. He just felt, for whatever reason, that he needed to tell me his story. And uh, they came out of the woodwork like that, Louisa. Oh, easily over sixty-five percent of my research base came that way. Wow. This, this. Let me give you some more examples of how crazy this was. I I was working a job in the D.C. area. I went to get into this taxi cab, and it was driven by. uh, a man, I suppose, from the Bahamas, I don't know where he was from, but he had the darkest skin I've ever seen. I didn't know human, human skin could be that dark. I just didn't know. As the first time I've seen human skin that dark. Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, he pointed his hand like this. I know you died. I can see it in you. Gosh. That means I can tell you all about the time I died. And he told me all about his near-death experience. How
0: incredible. And you were asked to come back to do the research anyway. How incredible.
1: That, that's the way it went. All over. It Didn't matter where I was. I was working another job. It was construction. And I was with a whole group of people, and and um, the roof caved in on on the on this room that we were in, and here's all all this water coming like a waterfall, and things are falling apart, and and two women in this in this office that I th- I think we were supposed to be in whatever the room was said. Oh, this is like the last time I died. And so we started talking about their near-death experiences and and they would bring in their kids and they would bring in their boyfriends or their husbands. And we would all talk about it together. I'd hear their point of view. I'd um, I'd hear all kinds of points of view, which is what I wanted. I didn't want just one person's point of view. I want everybody's point of view. And it just, week after week after week, didn't matter. Year after year, I finally decided that I must be wearing some kind of sign on my back that said, tell me all about your near-death experience. <laughs> 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 because that's the only way they couldn't <laughs> know. A, it it's just
0: amazing. Magic. And in some way, it probably um, helped you with your own experiences. As you said, oh, you, you, know, you, you, you it, gave to each other.
1: Made all the difference in the world. For me, understanding myself and what I went through, what my family was going through. But it also helped me to better understand people and our various natures and our, our various responses and impulses and um, how people respond to things. You know, um, we have all these glorious stories and they're incredible stories about near-death experiences, yes. but we don't, we, we don't take the time to look at the after effects. What, what was it like? afterward yes and you know i wanted all of it but especially afterward and especially from people who knew them whether it was their doctor or their health care provider or the neighbor um didn't matter who i wanted to know from them because they're among the things I learned is there is not a near-death experiencer on this planet who knows what really happened to them afterward, and who can really glimpse how very much they have changed. They'll have an idea of what the you know how they've changed, and they'll tell you all about how they changed and their and their husband and wife or their boyfriend or their girlfriend or their kids or over there chuckling and saying, "Ah, uh-uh, there's more than that. Ah uh-uh, that's not quite right." So you get the various points it's of the big view picture and that's the only that's the only way you can know is if you get the various points of view, you it's a really.
0: Interesting mm-hmm. angle, and I, you know, obviously you're the world researcher, but it's really interesting that people come back with such a knowing. Like you mentioned, the um, the the wife is it the pastor or the preacher? The the wife, yes. the minister. <laughs> um,
1: how she just had an inner knowing that that that, that wasn't was right. Lying. Yeah, the guy was lying, and she couldn't. She she just could not stand being in the church and listening. To him, tell stories she knew were not true. Fascinating. And, you know, what do you say? As a researcher, you can't say yay or nay. All you can do is observe and listen. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I've done that for 44 years. Um, my latest book.
0: Oh, I was just going to start talking about your yeah, book, so that's right. a perfect segue. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, the forever angels, near-death experiences in childhood and their lifelong impact. I did my first major study with children in the 80s and 90s. That book is called The New Children and Near-Death Experiences. And I kept finding anomalies, all kinds of anomalies. And I, I tried to interest other researchers you know, where is this coming from? Is it my research? Is it my style of research? Um, you know, uh, is, is there something I'm doing here? Mm. And I couldn't interest another soul. So finally, after years and years, I decided, okay, I've had enough. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so in, in my first study, which was done in the 80s and 90s, My youngest in that study was, was uh, kindergarten age and then on up into their twenties, some of them into their thirties, they were all forward looking, you know, they were young people who had a near death experience and um, reviewed it then through their eyes. It's certainly what happened to them, but the idea of the their life as they grew this second time the one i started about three or four years ago that led up to the new book i went after people in their 50s 60s 70s and 80s and i i went after people who could verify having had a near-death experience specifically between birth and the age of five. So I'm going after the teeny tiny ones. So I want older, more mature people. And I said to them, did having a a near-death experience when you were so small, did it make any difference in your life? If it did, what? So in essence, I was going after essays. Yes. Ah, the door I opened, my word. I just can't hardly even begin to really deal with the impact of this study. There's never been a study done like this before by anyone. So I've got, the, I've, I've got the two studies, one looking forward, the other looking backward. So for the first time in near-death studies, we've got the full round. We've never had the full round before. So we have it now, The Forever an- Angels.
0: A big congratulations, by the way.
1: Ah, and it's a surprising, startling book um
0: so how long does this research how long does it take you to write your write a book and i know you've written 18 i can't wait till i've got a few books and i can't remember all of them <laughs> oh that was that was number seven <laughs>
1: it just depends. i mean um you never know how long it's going to take you. okay i, I <laughs> i'll share this with you i i've just told hardly anybody before I never decide to write a book. I have never, ever decided to write any kind of book. Always, (laughs) this is going to sound funny, always the air will fill up with sparkles. I mean, they're just radiant, beautiful sparkles. And they'll land on my desk and they'll spell out the name of a book wow shock so immediately i hope everybody knows that everybody who thinks they're psychic or intuitive please listen you never go by guidance right away you always double check always double check always 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 and so i go into prayer and I say something to the effect of, you know, is this right for me to do? Is it best? Is this something that I should do? Is it right? You know, whatever, whatever. Um, and, I, and I wait for an answer. You know, it's, is this best for my highest good and the highest good of all concerned that I, you know, enter this kind of contract, if you will? And if the answer is no, I, I don't pursue it. If the answer is yes, then out comes the notebook and the work, and you know outline it, put together the material a uh, lot you know a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of my material I've already got done, how does it fit. So then i become the technician. And um, yeah, and then I write the book. But I never, I've never decided to do any one book. They all came to me. Sometimes the book's title or close to the title, what the book was to be about. Um, I always did the research because the research needed to be done. I knew that 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 was my job but I never did the research to write a book. Yes, thank I did you for sharing that, that was. And the experience, and it's after effects. That's how and why I did the research. It was along the way that different um, opportunities would pop in, that maybe I should write a book. <laughs> So that's how all of them came to be. Um, I never set out to write any of them.
0: Thank you for sharing that. That's an incredible insight. And to double check, I like that as well.
1: Yeah, I never did. Never did. You always have to double check everything. So if it was right, then I'd do it. If it wasn't right, I would not do it. So... That's how they all came to be. But I was just, i was doing the research because that's what I was told to do. I was told to do mm-hmm. the research by that voice like none other. Um, my sense is it was of God, but all I knew was that voice was beyond the universe. It was beyond creation. It was beyond thought. It was beyond... Anything you can think of, that voice, is what breathes me. Literally, it's what breathes me. And it's that voice that I follow. So um, that voice said I should be a researcher, so I am. Thank you for sharing that. That was lovely. <laughs>
0: i know we have well we don't have limited time but you know what is time but i just wanted to quickly touch on your book future memory and you mentioned this when you when you went for the job and you saw yourself in the the career just i mean everyone many people aside from all this incredible what we've been talking about but uh, you know everyone wants to see into the future how do you obviously buy the book and read it But if you just don't mind explaining a little bit more how to tap
1: into that other dimension or other realm. Future memory is one of the after effects of near-death experiences. Okay. It is the ability to live the future before it occurs. Notice I did not say see, hear. Right. No. I didn't say any of those terms i said live and live it in detail like me standing at that doorway and i saw myself working at that business and i saw myself doing all those things i was living the future before it occurs um, let me give you another idea, uh, another concept of future memory. This is on myself. My husband and I were li- living in Williamsburg, Virginia. It was, a, I think, a Saturday morning. Um, and I heard the phone ring. I got up and went to answer the phone. My my husband and I were seated together at sort of like a breakfast nook. I got up and answered the phone. And the the guy was there um, coming down to teach various people in my husband's business how to advertise land and he wanted to know if I would be a part of that I said oh sure yeah I'll be a part of that and he um, gave me when I was to be at Howard Johnson's restaurant what time and he would go over the details there so I said thank you very much and I hung up the phone and then I, I went back and sat down at the table and I um, I, and and I started talking to my husband about the phone call, and he put the newspaper down, and he said, "What phone call? I never heard a phone call. I didn't see you get up and go to the phone." And I'm looking at him, kind of puzzled. You didn't hear the phone? <laughs> hmm. So I went on, on about my business and on the day that this was to occur, the meeting, I heard the phone ring, went to the phone and it was this guy. Same thing when we were supposed to meet at Howard Johnson's at such and such a time and he'd go over my schedule. And I put the phone down and I started laughing and I said, hmm. This is interesting. So I hurried up and and I finished uh, and got in the car, drove over to Howard Johnson's. And and, and everything I did was I had done before. And one of the things I had done before is that I had went into Howard Johnson's and I couldn't find him. And I turned around and there he walked in these doors Surrounded by a bevy of women, so I rushed down to Howard Johnson's. I entered the place, couldn't find him, and I stopped and I said, "Oh, I know what's going to happen." Oh my gosh, <laughs> he's going to come in those doors surrounded by a bevy of women. So I turned around with great flourish, and sure enough, in he walked surrounded by a bevy of women. And I walked right up to him and I said, here I am, called him by name, ready to go. And that guy stopped cold, went absolutely paste white. He says, how do you know who I am? I've never been here before. I just got down here. I just called you. How can you know what I look like? (gasps) So what did you say? Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) Uh-oh. So I said to him, lucky guess. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And and I walked and, and, you know, that, that guy, as long as I worked with him, never trusted me. Wouldn't be in the same room with me. I think he thought I was a witch or something. Um, (laughs) He wouldn't have anything to do with me. And and, uh, that's an example of future memory. Let me give you another example. This woman was sitting, was standing at her uh, in the kitchen. She was she was standing there at the sink doing dishes. And suddenly she saw <clears throat> excuse me her husband uh, being called to a special meeting after work. He would go, and there would be an accident, and he'd be hurt in the accident. And she went, oh, oh, oh I can't allow this to happen. No, 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 no. So when he came home, he talked about... Suddenly, um, there was another meeting. He had to go to the meeting. She said, I'll drive. So she drove. Mm. Nothing happened. Weeks later, she was standing at the kitchen sink. Her husband came home. Well, no, she was standing at the kitchen sink. I think she was on the phone. Her husband tried to get older or couldn't. So he went to the, had a sudden meeting, went to the meeting, had an accident, and he was hurt. Not, not that bad, but he was hurt. You can delay them, but you can't stop them. So it's almost like
0: interfering with what's happening now, but in the future.
1: Whatever the, the path is. So that sense, you know get the book. I'm very very clear on the pattern and how it happens. It's not deja vu It's not precognition. It's not any of that stuff and I and I show you the The difference the differences um, And I give you all kinds of examples Future memory is where you are able To viscerally take part in something to the future that's going to happen in the future. You viscerally live it in detail, all of it before it happens. Mm -hmm. It's a crazy kind of thing, but it's one of the after effects of near death states, and people go through it. Not fully understanding what's happening, but realizing this is different, this is weird, this is odd, why is this happening? Somehow, we seem to be, once you've gone through a real change, that is to say, a transformation of some kind that begins to alter your nervous system and your brain, somehow that can also alter your sense of being in the world F- that i'm speaking physical i'm not speaking of what you think or what you feel i'm not talking about psychic or intuitive i'm talking about the physical being in the world is somehow altered and it's almost as if you walk to the tune of a different drummer literally and um you know i have been you you can get to the point where either you can control or alter time Uh, i've done that many times myself especially if i'm driving somewhere and i want to get there quicker (laughs) all you have to do is become your car Become the road. Become the air. Become the scenery. Totally and fully absorb it until you are it. And you'll be there quicker than you could ever imagine you could be there. It's just so smooth and so easy. Harms no one, and it's if, if if you it's as if you're writing time, or it's if you, you somehow become time itself. Um, I do it every once in a while, especially when <laughs> it looks like I might be late <laughs> to an appointment. yes yes yes. i'm going to practice
0: that (laughs) well it shows you how to do it in the book (laughs) yes dr pmh at water is there anything else you'd like to talk to the passion harvest audience about oh aside from this could be a a whole 20 years episodes (laughs) is there something specific you'd just like to tell them
1: Well, you know, one of the things I've learned—it's um, like near-death experiences, near-death-like experiences, spiritually transforming experiences. There's a number of them that are that deep and that and that incredible seem to change how we view time, how we view life, how we view self and put it on, put us on a different track of love and compassion. And it's like that becomes our world. You know, I'm not really interested in new age stuff. And that kind of thing, because this becomes a lived experience. It, it becomes your life experience. It becomes you. Um, it becomes all of you. It's not, it's not a part of you has heightened or done different things. It's like all of you. Begin, you, you, you begin to walk to a tune, a tune of a different drummer, if you will. It's like all of you somehow shift in time and space to where you're operating a little bit differently. I'm not suggesting here that you become weird, although sometimes you think you are, or that you become another person. It's like it's like the person you are becomes more fully integrated with the person you were always meant to be. It's as if it's as if everything sort of melds together. Um, And you become who you are. You don't become anybody different. I'm still me. But I'm a different version of me. I'd like to think that I'm a a more powerful or at least a, a more full version of me. I'm a fuller version of who I was before. I'm still me. I'm just, I'm just a bigger version of it. And my husband is the same way, Terry. You know, near-death experiencers talk about the angels and all this kind of stuff. I say, well, I married mine. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. <laughs> Hi, Terry. <laughs> yeah, in April we celebrate 40 years of marriage. Uh, um being with this man is like ah, its like communion with god it's like he and i not only are one but we are the same substance the same light the same spark it it took us 3 years to um, <laughs> to figure out how to live with each other <laughs> we met at a zen meditation meeting we did that's where we met zen meditation
0: <laughs> sorry
1: <laughs> being held in, in the unity church of Roanoke Valley in Roanoke Virginia and I thought zen in Virginia you gotta be kidding the south I mean zen so I went there just to <laughs> just just to confront the fact that a a church in in the state of Virginia was having a meeting on Zen. It's like <laughs> I, I just can't believe this. But I went there, attended this Zen meeting, and and that's where we where I met where I met Terry. <laughs> that's be- so beautiful <laughs> married six weeks later <laughs> really but, really, but it, took, it took us three years to f- figure out how to live with each other because we were so different we're exactly opposite um, it doesn't matter astrology, numerology, whatever whatever, whatever. we're exact opposites in every way, not just sun sign so it took three years to <laughs> figure out how we how were going to do this and those are wonderful three years of figuring it out and making it work. And it did work and it worked wonderfully. And in, every year gets better th- than the year before. We're not soulmates. We're twin souls, obviously twin souls. Okay. We're here with definitive jobs to do and, and we help each other in doing those jobs. And it's just been a fabulous, fabulous trip. Being married to this man is just... Oh, he's just incredible. Well, another big so,
0: congratulations on your anniversary coming up.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Dr. Oh, PMH Atwater, seriously, your vest for life, you remind me a, of a little girl. You're so excited about everything. You've got so much energy and you're so bubbly. It's I, I've just been buzzing this whole interview. It's absolutely incredible. Oh, I'm 82. <laughs> 82 years young. No!
1: Yes! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> they won't be research books, so they're going to be different. Oh. Because I want to probe some things. And I want to be able to probe it through looking at things differently. So I've got three more books, but they'll be different. Um, the Forever Angels. Um, near-death experiences in childhood and their lifelong impact, that really is a capstone of my near-death research because it is so confrontive and it's so illuminating and it's so right there with what's really going on in in near-death experiences and especially with children and how they view life. Very different. Very different. A little tiny one between birth and the age of five will not behave like any other child. I don't care, or it's a tween, a teen, an adult, completely different than any other near-death experiencer. They're totally different and Um, They they come back smarter than the average person. They come back with stenesthesia, uh, with multiple or different sensing abilities. Many of them come back with, um, they begin to abstract. Let me give you an example of abstraction. Um, This is a a child, a first grader, um, again in the state of Georgia. Drowned during first grade, drowned about halfway through school, who you know it's finally able to come back to school. Um, I don't know what they're doing in Australia, but in the United states when when kids come you know first grade, what are they yes. reading? E spot run. Yes Sha. This boy comes back reading Greek mythology, fully understands it, goes up to his teacher and asks her why was the book Robinson Crusoe ever written. He's abstracting, dealing with, you know, huge, broad conceptual understandings. I don't know about Australia, but in the United States, there is no school in the United States that is prepared for first graders who can abstract. Not that I know of. Everybody read this book. And suicide ideation is high, 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 high. We've got to face this. We haven't done it. We've got to face this suicide ideation afterward. Why? I believe it's because they want to go back. They're homesick for heaven. They want to go back to where they came from. And you've got to understand how a child thinks. A child does not think that suicide is wrong. A child thinks that they were in this beautiful world this very, very loving world when they were not breathing. Now that they're breathing, this world isn't as loving. It's not as nice as the other world. Aha! The way to get back is to stop my breathing and I'll be back there. Mm. That's a child's logic. They don't have an adult logic. So when you look at the longing or the desire to commit suicide, to go back, it is huge. And we've got to look at this. I have a whole chapter on that book on PTSD versus NDEs. We've got to look at the whole picture. We can't just look at at the psychic stuff, the visionary stuff, the incredible intelligence that they come back with. We have to look at the whole picture, everything. Same way with adults. You cannot look at how they've been transformed. You have to look at what they went through to get there. Um, and if you do, then you get a much broader, And bigger picture of life, of death, of soul, of universe, you get a much bigger picture of what it's all about and why we're here.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much. That was just a beautiful way to end the show, PMH, Doctor PMH at Water. Thank you so much for being on Passion Harvest. I've loved every moment of it. (laughs) Thank you, dear. Bye. (laughs) Bye, bye. Thank you very much. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening, and please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends, and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more
1: and more passionate.